Welcome to Covenant Life Church, a ministry that is committed to helping you discover Christ's purpose for your life and leading you towards your best existence by providing you with meaningful ways to affect positive change in your world. Join Pastor Shane as he delivers a powerful and inspirational message for your life today. Given us a spirit of fear. And so if we are afraid, that means that God is not the author of that fear. That it's coming from some other place. The author of it either is something internal that we're dealing with or perhaps Satan himself. Fear is something that shows up in our lives. And as a community of faith, we've been people that have been on the move. We have seen as this church has grown to be the great space that it is. And yet at every turn, at every transition, when we were moving into something new, there was always a measure of fear that was trying to oppose the very steps that we were trying to take. We've been talking this year about our need for more space. It's clear looking around that we are swelling over our banks and that's just in this service. We're seeing God do new things and if we don't plan ahead and we don't move ahead, we'll stifle and begin to fall backwards. But God is calling us onward. And so we're praying and believing that God is going to open the door and we're searching now for new property that can inhabit all of the great ministries that God has in store. But like for you and us, when we take steps of faith, there will always be this measure of fear that tries to oppose what it is that God is trying to do. I learned this some years ago, that often in our hearts, there's always two things going on at the same time. The the faith to move forward, the faith to take the bold step, and the fear that's trying to prohibit us from taking the step. That these are mixed around in our hearts, sort of in a collision. And it's a decision always that we are making which side will win out. Will fear own the day or will faith? Some years back, I saw this crystallized for me. I was climbing two of the high peaks in the Adirondack Mountains, and we were going up Wrights and Algonquin in the same day, some 13-mile trek um, through some very rugged terrain, expert-level climb. The climb itself wasn't intimidating. What became a big problem for me is that I didn't plan well enough for the next step. I had one liter of water thinking that it wasn't going to be very hot. And normally for me, that would be plenty. But the temperatures were skyrocketed that day and were even beyond what the forecast had said. Had we checked the forecast, we'd have known it was going to be hot. But they were having record-breaking temperatures on this day that we were doing the hike. So for about two-thirds of the climb, I'm okay. We're sort of even running, laughing as we go. But that last third, I started realizing I was in trouble and began to feel the effects of dehydration. First, dryness of mouth. Then, dizziness and fatigue. To the point, if you've ever been dehydrated to a, a, a very high level, you start to become even slightly delusional. So I'm walking with my buddy and I'm going, man, I don't know that I can make it. He goes, you can make it, man. There's water up there. And there's, what do you mean up there? There's no water up there at the top of the mountain. No, no, no. Up ahead on this trail. If we go far, far enough, there'll be water. So I'm trusting him, but I'm also dealing with real fear. It's getting to the point where my legs are wobbling and I'm starting to feel really bad and I'm starting to say some things I'm not really proud of. Man, if I don't make it, just tell my wife I love her. 
And man, you're my bro. You've always been there for me, man. I just want you to know I love you. And if I don't make it through this thing, man, I want you to just help everyone know what I stood for. He's like, come on, man. you got to call a God on your life. What are you worried about? You're going to make it through. I was like, I don't know, man. And if I had tears, they would have been flowing. But I was de- completely depleted of water. And he says, look ahead till you see. And I started looking ahead, and I see nothing. He's like, there's water right up there. Water. I'm looking for a water fountain, you know, somewhere you can push the button and get some water. He goes, right over there. You see that mud puddle? He goes, that's what we're going to drink. I said, I'm not drinking that water. He says, no, we'll purify that water and drink it. I said, there is not a life straw good enough for me to drink through that stuff. I'm just telling you, it looked nasty. He goes, no, no life straw today. We're going to put it in a bottle. We're going to throw some tablets in it. And in 30 minutes, you'll be able to drink it. 30 minutes? I need water 45 minutes ago, not 30 30 minutes from now and so we load it up and I'm sitting there looking at the water and I'm shaking it and he's like those those uh, pills will that we've dropped in the water will purify it and become safe to drink I said I don't know and so here I am I'm having to either trust him to drink so that I'll survive or to let fear own the day and say I'm not touching this and hope that the better solution would come I'm asking him to send helicopters and everything else. He's like, that ain't going to happen. The only way out is for you to drink this water. And so I, we get to that 28-minute mark, and I was like, man, I can't wait anymore. And I open it up, and I just drank that water. And I'm here to tell you this story because I didn't die. I'm here to tell you this story because in that moment, it was a decision that I had to make with fear when the day or faith. They were on a collision course. And what I really hope this morning is that we can flip the flow in your life from fear to faith. Because statistics tell us that in this room, that one out of every six of you are on some sort of anti-anxiety medication. And there's no problem with that because sometimes we need medical help to deal with some of the issues that we have in our heart. But if God hasn't given us this, he wants us to be able to work through these problems to the degree that they never are problems anymore. And if medication is part of the answer to prayer, then fine. But I believe with all of my heart, because scripture says God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, that where fear is coming up, that this isn't God's plan for my life. So here this morning, I want to take you to the place where there's an intersection of this word with our own life. Like my story, it was a great and terrible famine. So bad that it hadn't rained for three years. We just went through a month without rain a few weeks back, and you could see the vegetation beginning to die. But in this case, it had been three years. Imagine that, if you will, three years, not one drop of rain. The clouds in the sky were only a tease. There was no moisture falling from the sky, and the moisture from within the ground itself began to dry up. The reason for this famine, the reason for this dearth of rain was because the people of God had bowed their knees in fear to the gods of this world. They called them Baal and Asherah. These foreign gods that were promising to provide. And they promised more and more but delivered less and less. And like the idols in our own life, when we come to our own strength and saying, I'm going to get through this. I'm going to power up within myself. I'm going to overcome this by will. We also worship these gods. Because there will always come a point when the battle is greater than your capacity to meet it. But yet there was one man of God. 
His name was Elijah. Elijah, not like the others in that time, had the faithful word of the Lord and would proclaim that faithful word of the Lord to the world. He would tell them that God would help them and he was the answer and that was the only way that they were going to get through it. He was a lone faithful voice and God provided for him by a brook that continued to produce water and fed him by ravens. Now imagine that. You're so awesome and holy before God that even when everybody else is suffering, God still provides. But then, the stream that he'd been camped by itself begins to dry up. What's it like as faithful people of God to come to those moments ourselves? where we've done it all right, where we've lived into the right virtue, where we've striven to be right and holy and still have calamity meet us. I think sometimes what we do is we flatten scripture as if they didn't go through problems just like you or I. Elijah himself is questioning what it is that's happening. Why am I here? And here, that is where we're going to pick up our reading this morning for 1 Kings chapter 17, starting in verse 7. Here's what it says. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the words of the Lord came to him, go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks He called her and asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so I could have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called, and bring me please a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives. Notice that. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I am gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Flip the flow. Go home and do as you have said, but first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me and then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. She went away and did as Elijah, uh, for Elijah asked Uh, as the Lord had told him to. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. Sometimes we can come across a text like this and have a tendency to want to read through to the end to find out the outcome. And not sent to the emotive, uh, or dive into the emotive quality of what's going on here. This is about as desperate a situation as you could have. This woman, a widow, she's already lost a husband, is facing real calamity. Her son and her are at the very end of their resource. What's more is the man of God is going to meet with her. 
the man of God. But notice what she says, the Lord your God. The reason why that distinction matters is because she's from a different country. A place called Zarephath. Zarephath, if you know your Bible history, is also the place where Jezebel's from. She's from that region. So, the most wanted man in the known world, that little uh, uh, part of the world, is Elijah. And the reason he's the most wanted man is because he is the one that they believe is to blame for the skies being shut up because he prophesied. Because you're unfaithful, the skies are going to be shut up until the Lord is going to reign and bring mercy. And so everybody is hunting him. And God tells Elijah to go to the place where the lady that most wants you dead is from. To a widow's house. Who, by the way, has absolutely nothing to give you. We miss that, don't we? We miss what really is going on in this text because we flatten it and we race through it. But she's a widow. She explains what her resources are. I have nothing except a little flour and a little oil. That's all I have to my name. Now, if I'm Elijah and the Lord says, get up from this dried up spring and go and move on towards where it is I tell you to go, I would expect that God would send me to a place of abundance. A place that could easily provide for my need. A place where the storehouses and the vats are overflowing with resources or at least, at minimum, enough crops to feed me and everyone there. But God sends him to the absolutely most crazy and asinine place he could possibly be sent. To a woman with very little resource. He himself doesn't have any resources. And God says, go at once, mind you, to the woman in Zarephath. Because that's where your provision is going to come from. And here's where fear starts to show up. When it doesn't make sense... In the economy of our own mind, how it is that God is going to use the circumstances that we are now dealing with to bring deliverance when it's clear that she doesn't have the resources to do it. But the Lord intended to make a strategic partnership between a woman who had lack and a prophet who had lack and somehow through an ingredient that's important an ingredient called faith to produce something of supernatural telling we have this story because they did trust God let me ask you this what would have happened how would this story sound if she'd said no What would happen if when we're faced with our own stories where we need to trust God, stories where we need to see God at work when we have received the negative reports, when our finances are strained, when the lies keep coming against our character, when to trust again means to be vulnerable or to love means that we have to again move forward and trust. And we feel as if we don't have the capacity to face that which we are being called to face. What happens when we are at the brink of this? What would happen to their story should she say no? 
it wouldn't be recorded in scripture. The reason we have the story of a nameless woman from Zarephath is because she said yes. And I want to tell you something here this morning. People will tell your story long after you're gone, not because you said no in this moment, but the times that you said yes, when it did not make sense from an outward perspective to take a step and you took it anyway. When it looked like it was not going to work out and that it was going to be destructive to step out at that moment those are the moments and those are the only moments that are worthy of being recorded particularly in a text like this yet my fear this morning is that too often when we've been at the brink of this decision and we had an opportunity to fit, flip the flow between faith and fear we've mostly chosen fear we've chosen fear because we know at least where we stand in fear. I know what the terrain is like by the dried up brook. I know what it's like at that place. And even though it no longer feeds me the way that it did, I, 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 I want it to produce again. And so I sit there and hope that it will. This stream that has fed me for so long, I hope that it will. But I keep going back day after day. And so many of you are like that. You keep going back to the dried up stream, expecting and hoping it produces, and then wonder why it doesn't. And you're crying tears, playing, saying, please produce for me. And it doesn't. It's time to leave the brook and to step out in faith. It's time to leave it and step forward. But to flip the flow, we've got to recognize a couple things. And the first one's this. is that fear is a liar. It's a liar. Because what it does is tells us truths based on information that's not built in a kingdom mindset. Because when we look at the natural circumstances around this text, they both have every reason to say no. She's not even a believer. She's from Zarephath. And Elijah could say no. God, you're asking me to go to this woman's house and exploit the very last bit of resource she has? That sounds like an unjust God. That sounds like a God I'm not sure that it would be easy to follow. But the blessing was in the obedience. And it always is in the obedience. But fear will always tell us not to take those steps. Because it will proclaim that God won't meet us on the other side of our step of faith. It will proclaim to us our frailty. And how our human limitation cannot produce divine outcomes. And fear, you know what? It lies, but it also always tells the truth. It tells the truth about our lives apart from God's help within them. You don't have enough strength. You're right, I don't. So therefore, I'm checkmate over. I'm done. I'm not going to apply any effort towards this because you're right. I don't have the ability to give anymore. I don't have the ability to walk this path. Okay, fear, thank you for that. I'm going to stay here by my dried up brook. I'm going to stay here and bury my son. One more meal is all we got. We're going to hang on to that and we're going to just eat it. But here it's important to know the difference between feedback and failure. This woman has been 
meeting out her resources every single day to the very best of her camp. Okay, this much flour will get us through. And she's been pretty faithful. She's almost made it three years. She's a widow. She's been very resourceful. She's done the very best she can, but she's meted it out. And now there's just one more day left of food. And the food hasn't been producing. The rain hasn't come. And even if the rains come now, how long is it going to take the seed to germinate and to grow crops months from now? And I, 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 God is not saying you're a failure. He's saying to get feedback. I've got a different plan. And when we feel something drying up in our lives, when we feel that we've come to this place, it's important that we take the steps out, quit bemoaning what hasn't worked out in our lives, and start looking forward to what will and the directions that God is trying to carry us to. What's really interesting, and for all my Bible students in the congregation today, you already know this, but the name Zarephath means the house of the refiner. It's in the house of the refiner that God is doing some refining. And when we, repl- we walk into refining seasons, it's not easy because our lives are being smelted down and polished into something that's going to have power to accomplish what it's meant to accomplish. But refining means that some stuff in our lives begins to burn off. Could it be that the reason why you've been struggling to this point to now and why it is that you've been struggling to find a way through is because God is trying to refine and burn off the impurities to make you a vessel of honor and to use you for his glory. It's here though that fear will lie to you and tell you don't do it. Don't step out. God is not like that, that he would want you to go to this place. And bring exploitation because that's what it feels like. But that's not what God's doing at all. We've got some of our friends back from Hawaii. It's good to see you guys. Here's something though that I want to tell you about Hawaii. My brother, a few years back, he was stationed in Hawaii. And there's this one place near where he was stationed that had this underwater tunnel that led you to this beautiful pool of brackish water where the fresh water flowed into the salt in a waterfall. He said it was the most beautiful place on the island that he was at. He goes, but to get there, you had to swim through darkness and an underwater tunnel, which took somewhere between 35 and 45 seconds, depending on your strength of swimming, to get from one side to the other. And he said the first time he went, he was afraid that it wouldn't, he wasn't going to make it because it was very dark through the tunnel. But he trusted the voice of the one that says, on the other side of this is going to be the most beautiful sight that you've ever seen. There's going to be something so wonderful and beautiful that if you behold it with your eyes, it'll be worth your trust and faith. And so he swam and went back. And all the way over there, and he said it was just like it, it was. And then a family friend went with him. And this family friend, he was telling him the same story that he had told the other person or that the other person had told him and said, if you swim to the other side of this, I want you to get a big breath and go. Because if you turn around at the wrong time and you don't take a big enough breath, you're not going to make it to the other side. So I need you to follow me. So they begin to swim under and and they're, they're trekking through the underwater. And my brother notices about three quarters of the way through, the person began to panic. And so they're starting to try to swim back to the other place. But my brother, knowing that they'd never make it because they didn't have enough air in their lungs to get to the other side, he grabbed hold of them and pointed, it's this way. And so they swim out to the other side and the guy comes up and gasps and gasps and gasps. And my brother says, if you would have gone back, you would have died. 
That's a word of the Lord for us today because some of you have been trying to go back when God's trying to send you forward. Some of you have been looking back and and longingness towards the season that is gone and missing the blessing that God intends for you right here and right now in the place that you sit that God is trying to do a new thing through and in you. But sometimes when it's darkest is when we just got to keep trusting and know the voice that says on the other side there's something that your eyes have never beheld before. That's how it is that we flip the flow by recognizing that fear is lying to us. That God does have our back and plans for us to walk in blessing and in hope and to see his miracles come forth. The second thing I learned about this text this morning is this. is that you're enough. I thought about here Saying it more like this, that you have enough. That what you have in your possession is already enough. Because the widow, she has some in her possession. But what I've come to know as a pastor. Is that the way that scarcity most affects us. You, me. Is first, internally. That it's an internal mindset before it actually ever becomes a physical reality. That we believe that we don't have the resource to do what it is that we need to. And therefore, we don't make progress towards what it is that God intends. We believe the lie that we aren't enough. That God can't and doesn't value us the way that we hoped he would. And so we feel very insufficient for the task. And in my pastoral office, I have seen so many people through the years that have more capacity than they know. They're, they've got resources. They've got talent. They've got options. And yet still feel powerless. Why? Because they believe the lie. That somehow they weren't enough. Or somehow that they weren't enough for God to care about. The truth of what I know is about the word of God is this. Is that when we put it into practice. And as we trust and believe that God is working. We can recognize his power bounding forth in our lives. In ways like none of us have ever seen before. But here then anxiety always seems to slip in always works out for someone else and for some of you you can even pray for someone else to receive their breakthrough but have a really hard time praying for your own because somewhere we believe that God doesn't value us and somehow fear and anxiety keeps us from taking the necessary steps of faith to move into the great promises that God has anxiety is a real problem for all of us but yet We have a command in scripture in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 7. It says, be anxious for nothing. Let it sink in. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Let me ask you this question. What good has anxiety ever produced for you? What good outcome? None. 
There is no good outcomes to being anxious. But instead of being anxious about nothing, most of us are anxious about everything. We're anxious about our kids. We're anxious about our finances. We're anxious about our career. We're anxious about our relationships. We're anxious about uh, the way that we, what we're wearing today. Is it the right outfit? Does it make me look good? How's my shoes look? We're worried about all of the wrong things and we're anxious. But what is it anxiety producing? Nothing. And that's why God says, they don't bother with it. Be anxious for nothing. Here's the really cool thing about this text. It's because this woman is at the very end. She's a widow. She doesn't have a husband. She had a husband. Maybe he could trade work for, for food or water, but she doesn't have it. She has one task, and that's to take care of her son, and it's not going very well. She finds herself in an end, and she's probably praying to whatever. God, if you're out there somewhere, can you find me? Can you help me? And of all the places in the world where God would send his most powerful man... It's to this woman right here. And what's really interesting about this text is because Jesus cites it in Luke and says that you guys in Luke, you Pharisees, you missed the point. The, the reason why God went to Zarephath and not to you in Israel was because he found faith in Zarephath. He found a woman that was willing to believe in Zarephath and he left Israel. He left the people of God because there was no faith there. He would rather go to a foreign woman and a foreign place where the prophet is wanted to find a person with faith than to sit there and go to a people that won't believe. And I wonder sometimes if part of our issue is, is that up in the church there isn't faith and maybe perhaps it's sometimes it's maybe found best outside of our walls. You see how offensive that sounds? Now you know why they wanted to draw Jesus off the cliff. The Pharisees tried to do it after Jesus said that. Faith was the movement in the process. Faith that this woman is believing that God can somehow come through for her. But then she has to do something about that faith. She has to bring the prophet a drink. Her most precious resource she has is that water. And that little bit of food that she has. She says, go get me some of that most precious substance that you have. Okay, I'm, I'm good with the water, but... Oh, oh, and while you're at it, can, can you bake me a cake? The audacity! I tried something like that with my wife. We have a two-year-old, and the two-year-old still likes to cry in the middle of the night. And so sometimes I'm a very light sleeper, and so I hear everything. And so I pretend that I don't hear the baby crying in the other room. I know I'm not necessarily always a good person, but in bed, because sometimes I'm just so tired. When my wife starts to get up, and, and she wasn't getting up this particular time, so I give her a little nudge, but she doesn't know because she's asleep, that I nudged her, and she wakes up, and she's like, ah, she sighs, and she goes over to get the baby. And then she gets up, and she's walking towards the door, and I said, oh, is the baby's crying? I said, oh, she goes, yeah. And I go, oh, okay. Hey, would you mind fixing me a sandwich on your way back? <laughs> Don't try that at home. It did not go well for me. But that's the audacity of what it is he's asking. He's asking this woman who has absolutely nothing to go and to bake him a cake and to bring him some food. And she's like, uh-uh. We don't even have enough food for us and you want me to bake a cake? You are out of your ever-loving mind. I'm not doing that. Could you blame her? 
My wife didn't make me the sandwich either. I'm just saying, that's just the way it goes. I mean, he's asking an audacious thing and he goes, hear the word of the Lord. Now he reframes it. You've been going in this flow for a long time, this flow of fear. It's time to flip the flow. Hear the word of the Lord. You're enough. And what you have in your house is enough. And I see you. And God is going to use the little that you have. And it's going to be more than enough for you, me, and all of us. It's time to flip the flow. You see what he was doing there? He was flipping the flow. But sometimes that's where it really struggles. It struggles in our own heart, right? It's because we have to trust God to do that very thing for us. And sometimes for us, our God is not a God that sees us in our calamity or our pain. I learned this recently from a friend of mine who was at a prison outreach. And he was telling me about a story of a man named Rigo. Rigo was someone that was doing some pretty hard time for some crimes that he'd committed. And when my friend Greg meets him in the prison yard, he says, yo, Rigo, how's it going? And Rigo's not in the mood for Greg today. He goes, man, I ain't got time for that Jesus stuff. So my friend Greg starts to push in and starts asking the question. He's like, what's the deal, man? Why, why are you so upset? He's like, man, you keep calling God father. But if you knew my father, you would know that I don't want a heavenly father that looks anything like my earthly father. My friend, leaning in now, Ask him, it's like, what on earth, man, did your father do? He said, man, my father didn't care anything about me. He wouldn't cross the street to help me. And I remember when I was in the third grade, I bought, brought home a bad grade. And you know what he did? He didn't say, son, you could do better. And you know what he did? He beat me, man, with a pipe. Tears now flowing down his face. A pipe. If that's the kind of father that is in heaven, I don't want anything to do with that father. My friend gets an idea, asks him another question. He goes, well, how about your mom? He said, well, my mom, you see her over there, man? That's her in the distance. You see her, she's standing at the gate looking in. Because my mom, she's different. You know, every Sunday, she takes seven buses to see my sorry behind. Takes her three hours to make the trip there and three hours back. Seven hours just to spend a half hour with my sorry behind. My friend looks and goes, that's just the way that God is. A God that would go out of his way with seven buses just to get to where you're at. And that's how God loves you. That's how God was loving the widow of Zarephath that of all the people in the world he sends the prophet to the most vulnerable. And it's there that the most vulnerable receives hope. And here's how it happens. Faith is the bridge that hope crosses. I'll say it again. Faith is the bridge that hope crosses. Faith is the sinew of hope. It is the undercurrent that supports it. Before there can be hope, there must be faith. Because I can hope for a different outcome. But until I put some substance underneath it, there's no way that hope can cross. Hope crosses over our decisions to trust. And here's what it looks like. This woman needs a miracle of provision. And so she sows seed in the area that she must needs a harvest. 
This is an important principle because if I want apples, I can't plant oranges. If I want friendship, I can't plant hatred. If I can't want love, I can't plant apathy. I've got to plant that which I hope to receive a harvest from. Or to put it differently, we reap what it is we sow. And when we sow into the currency of the kingdom, that which we need through faith, it's in this place that God brings the provision for what it is that we need. And so this morning, I don't know what you need. If you need prayer, then try praying for somebody else. If you need a breakthrough, then why don't you be the way of breakthrough for somebody else? It's in the planting that we receive the harvest. And that's what this woman is doing. She's been trying it her way. She's meted it out and divided it as much as she could. She tried not sharing, but it wasn't until she took the little that she had and she handed it over to the prophet. The Lord says it like this, that the oil did not run dry and the flour did not diminish until the famine was over. And God's truth is the same for us today. That if we plant in the good things that God is trying to do through his kingdom and for his glory, I promise you that's how hope crosses the bridge. What is your hope today? What deliverance do you need today? What miracle do you need today? Church, this is where it is found. This little old woman from Zarephath, not even a believer, said, your God found out it's not just your God but I want that to be my God because your God can provide my gods have produced nothing it's now the church that I believe on this eighth year it's time to begin a new journey and to sow into the kingdom that which we hope to receive we've been investing all over the world with our finances and mission why because we want the gospel to move when you have been investing in your life, but I wonder if you've been living more in scarcity than you have abundance. And today is the pivot point. Today is the moment of miracle. Today is the day of open heavens. Today is the day where new life can bound forth. I know I get a little excited, but I'm telling you, I've... About the, after the first service, I told someone, uh, amen, I, I, t I told someone at the first service, I said, I'm about to spontaneously combust. I feel the presence of God so thick in my heart with this word. And I really feel like that. I could almost explode because what God has sown into my heart, I believe, is the, the, the catalyst that's going to bring this church, and particularly each and every one of you, into the season that God has already declared. That eight years is the year of new beginnings. Eight is the number of new life and rebirth. Eight is the number that we think about when we think about salvation. The completion of one order and the start of a new. And I believe that this new season is upon us. And I'm excited to receive all that God has. Where is it that you need to sow some faith today? I can't tell you what your area is. But you know it. And you've been meeting out just enough. You don't trust anybody, but you need somebody to trust you. It's time that you give a little trust and sow it. You've been needing love, but you haven't been given any. It's time to start sowing it. 
You need reconciliation. Well, you got to sow the first step of, of, of saying, hey, let's work this out. You've got to be willing to take the step. Because it's in the step that we see the miracle. God doesn't provide the miracle before the step. The step comes first. It's us trusting in the Lord. The Lord already has made provision for it. All we have to do is walk it out. As we said already, the stories aren't told of those that did not take the step. It's always told about those that did. And God is calling each and every one of us in very unique ways to do that today. To step into the new thing that God has for us. I want to invite the worship team to come back up. As I was thinking about this message. And thinking about all that God is doing here. And we sang a little bit about this earlier today. It reminded me of another miracle. That took place in very much the same way as this widow's oil. And flour. We sing the song as a testimony. But maybe you don't know the story. Of little Jackson. The two year old little boy. Whose parents is Joel and Janie. Who went in because he got an E. coli virus that was attacking his kidneys that was making the rest of his body begin to shut down. The doctors thought when they went in there that he had a very treatable disease and they would be able to kill this bacteria before it could flourish within his body. But with all of the medications and all of the treatments and the doctors, some of the best in the world, trying with all of their power to flip the flow of what was going on in his body, found themselves painfully deficient to what it is that they needed to do. The parents are worried because they don't know what's going to happen and they're in, in great fear. Like, what are we going to do? It's our baby. So they called the church. They got a hold of Pastor Jonathan, one of the worship leaders, and said, would you pray for us? We can't get a breakthrough and the doctors are now telling us that our little boy's not going to make it and that we need to get comfortable with this fact Pastor Jonathan looking at the situation says that he felt like there was this giant in the room that was so daunting this giant of fear and unbelief that was keeping them at bay would they believe but he said, in that same time, a lyric began to rise up in his heart. Raise a hallelujah. Raise now in this place, before the miracle, the highest praise that you could offer. A hallelujah in the presence of your enemies. In the face of fear. In the face of indecision. In the face of brokenness, do it here. So he went and he sat down in front of his recording device. And he and, and, and a couple others began to record the song that we're about to sing. We'll raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. I'm going to raise a hallelujah. My God will come and fight for me. I'll raise a hallelujah. What they were doing was sowing. 
what it is that they needed to receive. And right then, they wanted to receive a testimony of God's victory. And so before they could even receive it, they began to sow it and say, we're going to proclaim God's victory before it's even happening. And they put that song on repeat in that little boy Jackson's hospital room. And suddenly, and without any sort of medical uh, 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 knowledge about how this has happened, the boy's system began to reverse. The flow of sickness began to flip in his life and health began to come again to his vital organs. As that lyric is resounding all throughout that hospital room, raise a hallelujah, raise a hallelujah. The boy didn't come out of the hospital still sick. But the way that the testimony is told is that he came out completely well. They flipped the flow. And God wants to flip the flow in your life here today. He wants us as a community to raise a hallelujah in the presence of our enemies. In the place of our despair. In the place where it still doesn't make sense. In a place of our fear, in a place of our unbelief that we're going to raise a hallelujah because it's in that space that God shows up. It's in that area that we start to see miracles. You got a bad report. The doctor says cancer, raise a hallelujah. You've got your kids. They're still strung out on drugs. Go ahead and raise a hallelujah. You feel discouraged today because it hasn't worked out the way that you thought your life would work up until this point. Well, go ahead and raise a hallelujah. I don't know where your battle is, but I do know where the answer to your victory comes from. And it's from the God that rules over all these things. And I call on somebody today with faith in their hearts to rise up and to possess the victory that God has for us. I dare you to stand up and sing this song like you mean it. I dare you to give God praise. Join Pastor Shane of Covenant Life Church next time for another powerful and inspirational message. To find out more about Covenant Life Church, log on to www.covenant-life.com or call 919-462-1932. Remember, living life without direction is meaningless. Living a purpose life with direction from Jesus Christ is your life fulfilled.